We thank you, Father, that you have offered to give us peace, not as the world gives, but a different kind of peace. And if there's anything right now that's in short supply in this nation, it's, uh, it's peace, it's peace of mind. The fact of the matter is, nobody knows what's going on. And the fact of the matter is, is that nobody can get their arms around this thing and nobody can control it. Now, some men are making some attempts. But our trust is not in them at all. Our trust is in you. Those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. And because you have revealed yourself to us, because we have seen you work in our lives, because we read your book and we read the history in the Old Testament and how you worked among the people of Israel, and we see what you did and how you revealed yourself, and we see the different names that you have which express portions of your character, well, because of that, we can have peace. Not as the world gives, but peace of mind. When everything is in turmoil. And we're grateful that we don't need drugs, and we're grateful that we don't need booze, We just need you. That's what we need. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. So we are very grateful that you have worked in our lives in such a way that we would, on a Wednesday night, be in a room to study the Bible. That's not how we started out. That wasn't our inclination. But you pulled us in and you drew us and you did a work in our hearts and you've given us a hunger to know you. And, and, and in the midst of turmoil and in the midst of people who are anxious and worried and unsettled, um, we have the truth. Not, not because of us, because of you. And, and when we have your word, we have mental health. Not mental denial, but mental health. We, we, can, we can live healthily because we know you. And you've told us the truth, and you've told us where we're going, and you've told us that you're in charge, and it's all under control, all of it. So we thank you for that. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not facing challenges, because we are. So we, tonight, need encouragement to keep fighting the battle. I imagine most of us in here all need a, a shot of vitamin B12. 
it just to sustain us and to give us energy. So we're asking you to do that tonight. Different guys sitting in different rows have different issues and are facing different threats and different concerns. And you know every single one of them. So we take those concerns and worries and threats to our well-being and we cast them upon you because you care for us. And you can do something about it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we left Joshua and Caleb at, uh, at a place where, where they didn't want to be. We, we've been working our way through uh, a study on giants and, and just a quick summary. And, and if you're here for the first time, basic premise is if you're going to be used by God, if you have a desire for God to use you, if you have a desire for your life to make a difference, uh, if you're going to be used by God, then you are going to have to fight the giants. And we base that on Numbers chapter 13, when they went into the land, the 12 spies. You know that story. They checked out the promised land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and all the people, and they gave the report, and they, they went over the facts. And one of the facts is it's a great land, but another fact is, is that the land is full of... Uh, the Anakim, the giants, a literal race of giants that these people could not physically handle. Uh, all of these ites, they, they were um, highly developed civilizations. They had iron chariots. They had the latest technology. Israel had none of that stuff. But when they came back, 10 of the 12 spies um, gave a report, and they said, yeah, it's a great land. But basically, they said... Uh, there are giants in the land, there are these long necks, and we cannot take these guys. We are not able. Joshua and Caleb, and when they gave that report, they panicked the people. Uh, Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, look it, God will fight for us. He just kicked tail in Egypt. We, we saw him do 10 miraculous things. We saw him take us through the Red Sea. If God could do all that stuff, why can't he take these giants? Well, he can take the giants. But they were panicked. They weren't thinking clearly. They, they weren't thinking. Uh, of those 12 men, the only ones we remember are Joshua and Caleb because Joshua and Caleb were willing to fight the giants because Joshua and Caleb were not panicked. Joshua and Caleb were very realistic. They didn't deny there were giants. You guys remember, is it Colonel James Stockdale, one of the uh, men who was in the Hanoi Hilton uh, when McCain was there? Uh, if you've read the book, Good to Great, he did an interview in there. In, in fact, he has a, a chapter, I believe, called The Stockdale Effect. And in that book, he interviews Stockdale, and, and he asked him about what it was like to be in those prison of war camps and in the Hanoi Hilton. And one of the things he asked him was, um, who are the guys that had the hardest time? Who are the guys that didn't make it? And Stockdale, as I recall reading that book, Stockdale said, well, the guys that had the hardest time and the guys who didn't make it were the optimists. 
I thought that was interesting. The guys who said, uh, oh, yeah, you know, they got in and said, hey, listen, you know what? We're going to be out of here by Christmas. We're going to be out of here by Easter. And they weren't. Well, we'll be out of here next Christmas. We'll be out of here next Easter. Those were the guys that uh, Stockdale said they didn't make it. The guys who made it were not the optimists. The guys who made it were the realists. You, you want to deal with what's in front of you. You want to deal with, with what's there. You want to deal with reality. We've all heard of dysfunctional families. Well, the, 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 the hallmark trait of a dysfunctional family is they don't deal with reality. Dad's a drunk, but nobody talks about it. Dad beats up mom. Nobody says anything. You just kind of walk around on eggshells. Um, uh, women whose husbands are abusing their daughters don't talk about it. They're not dealing with reality. You have to deal with reality. You have to deal with what's in front of you. And Joshua and Caleb were mentally healthy men. Did they deny they were giants? Did they get up and say, oh, no, they aren't giants. They're really, they're no, they said, no, they're, yeah, they're giants. You bet they're giants. But so what? Who gives a care if they're a giants? Look what God has done. Look what God has has shown us. Look at his power. He created the giants for crime and his sake. I mean, he's the one who put them there. And he gave us his promise that he's going to give us this land. And if we'll trust him, we'll go in there. And, and look at when he told us the promise, when he told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for all these years, he's been, he's been saying, this is your land. And now we finally got a green light. Back when he first gave the promise, he knew there were giants in there. That's nothing new to him. So are there giants? Yeah. Is that a problem for God? No. Let's go. God will give it to us. Uh, Joshua and Caleb were thinking. They were thinking. They weren't working off their emotions. Emotions are important, but in our lives, emotions cannot be central. How I feel cannot be the most important thing about me. That might work for Oprah, but it doesn't work for, and it doesn't even work for her, although she's done quite well off that. Christianity is, uh, and, and I got to tell you guys, what is this, our fourth week? When I get in these studies, I always, I get into them and I always feel like I'm repeating myself because I'm repeating myself. <laughs> but I remember hearing that uh, repetition is the mother of learning, unless you flunk out of college and have to come home early. <laughs> You're really sorry you came, aren't you? <laughs> repetition is the mother of learning. You bet it is. And I've said several times in this study, and I'm going to say it several times more, that many times when we face the giants and we get panicked and we get intimidated and we become aware of our own inadequacy, what, what, what the problem is is that we're not thinking. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, the brilliant expositor who died in 1981, pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, before he was... Um, a pastor, he was a medical doctor, he was, he, 
he was handpicked by the man who was physician to the Queen of England basically to take his position ultimately, but at the age of 27, he felt called into ministry and he left all of that and he went to a little coal mining town in Wales. One of the things that made him stand out as such a brilliant medical doctor was his ability to think, to think. Uh, another way of saying that was his ability to diagnose. Doctors have to be able to diagnose because it can be this or it can be this or it could maybe be this and then it could be that. And so they have to, what they have to do, and Lloyd-Jones, when I read his biography and I read it again over the summer, he talked about going back to first causes, first things, first principles. You got to go back to what is first and what is true. And in our lives, what is first and what is true is that God is there and that God is in control and that God is sovereign. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. So no matter what giant it is that we encounter, when we get threatened and when we get panicked and when we get worried and we don't see any possible way, we have to think about what is true about our God. We have to think. And so much of Christianity is non-thinking nonsense. Is it not? Uh, so much of it is heresy. The health and wealth gospel, which we hear so much on Christian television. So much of it is um, uh, worship that is mindless if your worship does not have biblical content, you might as well be at a rock concert smoking dope. The whole thing about Christian worship is based on truth and about facts. I think I told you this as well. Really what I'm doing tonight is just repeating everything I've said. It's sort of like the presidential debates. I'm just repeating what you've already heard. <laughs> But on my uh, laptop, they have this thing called iTunes, which I really don't know how to use, except I know how to hit the arrow which plays the song. I'm going to take a class later and figure out the rest of it. But So I've got this CD, and all it is, it's, uh, it's uh, classic hymns, just the music, and uh, just really, really nice stuff. And so a lot of times when I'm, when I'm writing, I just, I got it going in the background, low volume. And a few weeks ago, it might have been a few months ago, I really don't remember, but I'd gone in to get some iced tea to the kitchen, and I'm coming back, and I'm just sitting down in my chair, and, and just as I got around to the desk, I could hear the music, and it was um, the instrumental of uh, Amazing Grace. And... The, it was just the portion, I caught the portion, I'm just sitting down, and I heard the phrase. I didn't hear the words, but I knew the words. I just heard the, the cello playing, and grace will lead me home. And I teared up. Because that's all I needed to know right then at that moment. Because did I have a few giants? Yeah, just like you do. 
Was I trying to figure out how to work it all out? Yeah. Did I know how? No. But I'll tell you something. Grace will lead me home. I'm getting there. I'm going to get around it. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to make it because of grace. Is that not right? Is that not true? Is that not true? Okay. Well, then, I, and then what did I do? The, the, there was a response, which was worship, because it was true. Not mindless, you know. Give me some truth. Give me some facts. Give me some meat to think about and to live off of. What else is there? At least that's what Joe Friday said. Remember that? Just the facts. He comes to the door. You young guys don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> what a show, man. I mean, what a show. What a cop show. Dragnet. Dun, 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 dun. Let's stand and sing that together. <laughs> In fact, there was a narration. This is the city. See? That word I've hidden in my heart. Uh, 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 no. <laughs> Mindless dribble I put in my heart. But, but this guy, Joe Friday, he's just, a tough, he's just a tough cop. And he's with his partner, you know, and they go knock on the door, and some lady's had her house robbed, and, and you, know, her, you know, her cat was stolen, and, you know, her car was, I don't know. And she's just a basket case, and she's... And Joe Friday's talking to her, and she starts sobbing and going, and Friday just looks at her. I mean, absolutely no empathy, no compassion. He, just, he, says, he says, just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. I don't give a snot how you feel. <laughs> I'm here doing an investigation. I just need facts. Now, that's not the way you want to do it, but... Okay, Joshua and Caleb. And, and what we've been talking about is, as we're looking at this, we find out that there are different giants that we face. And last week, what we discovered is that basically, they're facing a giant that they probably never thought they'd face before. And in summary, they're facing the giant of, um, of uh, dealing with the consequences of panic decisions made by poor leaders and panicked followers that will never negatively affect them and their family and their nation for a generation. That's what happened to them when the ten spies said they wouldn't trust God, and then they caused panic to go through uh, all of the people. And if you look in Numbers 14, and let's look in Numbers 14 one more time. If you look at Numbers 14, because of the unbelief and because of the panic and the refusal, the mindless, idiotic refusal to trust God for their future and to handle the giants, what, what happens in verse 14, uh, chapter 14, uh, of verse 36, here's what God does with those ten leaders. As for the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land and who returned and made all the congregation gumble, gumble, I, I did it today and I did it again. Um, made all the congregation grumble against him by bringing out a bad report concerning the land, the ten spies, 
Even those men who brought out the very bad report of the land died by a plague before the Lord. So you know what the Lord said? He said, you guys are history. Boom. And he just removes them. Now, one of the reasons he removed them is that they assailed his name and they assailed his character and, and they assailed his promises because one of the things that they said is if you look at 14 and you look back at verse 3, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? No, he said he was bringing you into the land to give you the land. The, the cities you didn't build, the houses you didn't build, the vineyards you didn't plant. Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Okay. Then note, if you will, verse 29. Your corpses will fall in this wilderness, even all your numbered men, according to the complete number from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. So the 10 spies immediately go down with a plague. The other guys, 20 and over, who grumbled, and that was all of them, and who complained... Well, you guys, none of you guys are going to live to go into the promised land. Now look at verse um, 31. Your children, however, and he gives the exception in verse 30 of Caleb and Joshua. They're the only two that are going to win. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey, P-R-E-Y, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. In other words, you're so worried about your kids that I won't fulfill my promise? Well, guess what? You're going down, but I'm taking your kids in because you wouldn't trust me. You say, this is pretty severe. Yeah, it is. You know, God is a great God, and God is a, a God of mercy, and he's a long-suffering God. But sometimes God says, that's it. And this was one of those moments. This was one of those, this is it moments. Uh, was this a one-time deal where they would not trusted God? No, these guys, you know what God says in another portion of Scripture? He says, I loathed that generation. I loathed them. Couldn't stand them. Why? They wouldn't trust him. As we said last week, God loves to be trusted. He loves it. He invites us to do it. So now, what's, what's our scenario? What's our situation? Now, what's going to happen? Instead of going in and taking the promised land, and, you know, look, at they were close. Are the giants there? Yeah, but God will fight for, the, fight for them. Take on the ites, take out the giants. What are, you, what are you talking maybe? 60, 90 days, 120 days? They could be in there, in the cities, in the houses, settling the land. It was within their grasp, and then these yo-yos refused to trust God. So now... There's a 40-year wait. There's a 40-year period of circling the airport, and Joshua and Caleb have got to go through it. So now Joshua and Caleb are facing another giant. I got about 19 giants here tonight. Uh, an obvious giant is the giant of disappointment and delay. Now, the reason it was so disappointing is that they did what was right. It's one thing to be disappointed because you screw up. But when you do what's right and you're disappointed, that's hard. They had done what was right, but they are going to have to wait for 40 years. When God wants to use a man and when God wants to build a man, that man is going to encounter delays and disappointment. There's, there's no way around this giant. I noticed uh, no one said amen to that. 
Let's hear it for disappointment. <sighs> Let's hear it for delays. Someone came up to me before I got started and, and gave me a license plate. And they said, is that yours? And I said, yes. And then they had something to say about the way I was driving on the way here tonight. <laughs> and I said, you're exactly right. I was, um, I didn't want to be delayed. <laughs> because I would have been disappointed. Let me tell you something, guys. If God's going to use you, at some point in your life, you're going to encounter the giant of disappointment and the giant of delay. John Newton, a great pastor who had much depth, wrote hundreds of hymns. We just quoted a line from Amazing Grace. He was quite a man. He was, he was quite a sinner in his early years, as you know. A, a slaver. Probably, uh, probably from all of his uh, debauchery and uh, sexual exploits in the ports and raping slaves uh, in his drunkenness. Uh, probably, a case could be made. He probably was carrying some venereal disease. But God turned him around and greatly used him. He had a period in his life where um, there was a great disappointment and a great delay of five years uh, God was doing a very, very deep, deep work in his life. And he knew God was calling him to be a pastor, but he could not get anyone to ordain him. He was so notorious. But God came through in his way, in his time. Uh, in in uh, 1767, August 17th, Newton wrote a personal letter to someone who had written to him because they were struggling with the timing of God. And I want to read you, I want to read this to you. There's great wisdom here for those of you dealing with disappointment and delay. And could we say that uh, if, if the papers are correct, there are a lot of people right now in regard to their plans for retirement and who are somewhat disappointed because it's going to be delayed because two trillion has been lost in the last, what, 12, 15 months? So a lot of people are having to recalibrate, change plans, what they had hoped to do. Uh, maybe you've already retired, but because of the hit you took this week or last week, you're going to have to go back and do some work. I mean, I don't know. But I'm telling you, somebody in here has been affected by this. Listen to what Newton says. It is indeed natural to us to wish and to plan. And it is merciful in the Lord for him to disappoint our plans. Don't you love these old guys? Where do they come from? They have such a different take on life, don't they? Let me read that again. You wonder if this guy's not on some kind of medication when you first read it but you know he isn't you know he's right it is indeed natural for us to wish and to plan and it is merciful of the lord to disappoint our plans and to cross our wishes 
For we cannot be safe, much less happy, but in proportion as we are weaned from our own wills and made simply desirous of being directed by his guidance. Now, we don't need to read anything else except that. I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to go ahead. But is that not true? We need to be weaned off what we want and become committed to what he wants. This truth, when we are lightened by his word, is sufficiently familiar to the judgment of our thinking, but we seldom learn to reduce it into actual practice without being trained a while in the school of disappointment. I'm going to tell you something. The best leaders have not gone to Harvard. The best leaders haven't gone to Yale and Stanford and Cambridge and all that nonsense. The best leaders have been in the school of disappointment. Haven't they? You know that to be true. The schemes we form look so plausible and convenient that when they are broken, we are ready to say, what a pity. We try again, and with no better success, we are grieved and perhaps angry and plan out another and so on. At length, in a course of time, experience and observation begin to convince us that we are not more able than we are worthy to choose a right for ourselves. Then the Lord's invitation to cast our cares upon him and his promise to take care of us appear valuable. And when we have done planning, his plan in our favor gradually opens and he does more and better for us than we either ask or think. Is that not true? When we finally back off of what we want and begin to realize that, you know what, I need to go with this and go with what he wants, even though I don't get it, even though I don't understand it. Is that not the best route? The mind of man plans his way. But the Lord directs his steps. Did I last week tell you about my son, Josh, who works at, got, got hired, what, a month ago at yeah. Dallas DISD? Yeah. Or is it M-I-C-K-E-Y? I can't remember what it is. <laughs> M-O-U-S-E. Anyway, it's one of those. I can't remember all the initials, but he, he's, he's, got, he, he's a, he's a, a ninth-grade English teacher. So did I tell you last week that there was, um, you know, there are going to be layoffs? And I can't remember which group I told this, but um, did I tell you that it appeared that his job was secure? Did I tell you that? That the guy who was his boss and mentor walked in and, and pulled him out of class and he said, I'm going to go in and resign because I have two other offers and I'm going to take one of them and this will open up a job. And um, so he did. Josh was kind of shocked. And then several days later, Josh was told, well, you're the newest hire, but um, we're going to put you in that position. And then he called me yesterday afternoon and um, uh, it's, it, it looks 99% that he's, he's gone and he's out. He, he'd just gotten the news and he was walking to a class and he called me and said, this is what's going on. 
Now, has, has Josh got the year planned out? Oh, yeah. He's, in fact, he's got the year and he's got the next year planned out. And he had it all worked out because he graduated and then, you know, master's and all that stuff. And he's just falling apart. The mind of man plans his way. See, here's good. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> Is that not a cracker? And isn't that great? Because what the heck do we know? Right? I mean, look at you. <laughs> and look at me. I mean, we don't know what the snot we're doing, do we? No. But does he have a plan? Yeah. Okay. So you know what this disappointment stuff? Is it disappointing? Sure it's disappointing. This delay stuff, does it tick us off? Yeah. But you know what? Next paragraph. Newton, who knew it full well, I can hardly recollect a single plan of mine of which I have not since seen reason to be satisfied that had it taken place in season and circumstance, just as I proposed, it would, humanly speaking, have proved my ruin. Or at least it would have deprived me of the greater good the Lord had designed for me. We judge things by their present appearances, but the Lord sees them in their consequences. If we could do likewise, we should be perfectly of his mind. But as we cannot, it is an unspeakable mercy that he will manage for us, whether we are pleased with his management or not. And it is spoken of as one of his heaviest judgments when he gives any person or people up to the way of their own hearts and to walk after their own counsels. The worst thing that can happen to you is, to, is for God to let you go the way that you want to go. Is that not true? I'm telling you, these old dead guys, they got some prime rib, don't they? So see, it, 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 Joshua and Caleb, was it disappointing? I mean, 40 years, yeah. Are, are some of us disappointed? Yeah. D delay? Okay, so what do we got to do? We got to stop, we got to back up, and we've got to think. What the heck is going on here? Well, the mind of man plans his way. I had this all laid out. I don't get this, and I don't like this. But God, you're up to something. Do I see it? Do I know it? No, no. But you know what? You know, Lord, would you help me here? Would you help me? I mean, I, 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 said, this, I said this the other day. I'm mean, 59 years old this month. I, I know you can't believe that. <laughs> I mean, I, you know what? I'm almost 60. I mean, you're worthless when you're 60. Amen. Here's a guy that said amen, and he's 60. No. But didn't you, hey, didn't you used to think that when you were a kid? Sure you did. And now you can't believe you're 60. I mean, my gosh. It's the new 40. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you're in denial. <laughs> but it sure sounds good, man. No, it is the new 40. But here's the point. I'm almost 60, and you know what? You know what I, you know what I was saying in there? I said, you know, Lord, it's about time 
I started applying this stuff. I mean, I know it. So, so am I disappointed here and I'm frustrated? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Would you help me here? Lord? I mean, I need to put this in the practice. That's the whole point, is to think and then apply it and live off of it. Is it not? Yeah, okay. I got another old dead guy. Or I did. Uh, It wasn't that good anyway. We'll just... (laughs) This guy, John Oxenham, I, I, I don't know where it is. It was actually pretty darn good. This guy, John Oxenham, that ticks me off. Hey, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Have you ever seen Chuck do this on Sunday morning? No, he never does. He's always got it right where it's supposed to be. Okay, forget it. Oxenham has a, has a short poem called God's Handwriting. And it's basically what he's saying is we have, we have a lot of trouble making out God's handwriting because one of the things that's in God's handwriting are withered hopes. That's a great line. Withered hopes. We love to be hopeful. We, we love to be optimistic. But sometimes those hopes, they just... My gosh, they just, they just wither. They just wither. Someone needs to wither that kid over there. <laughs> In Christian love, of course. <laughs> you can tell I'm just filled with the Spirit tonight. Can't you tell that? Well, hey, guys, let me ask you something. Why is this Christian life so hard? Because we're in a battle. Because it's a fight. It's a war. That's what it is. It's a flat-out stinking war. And that's why we battle. And that's why we don't always get it right. And that's why sometimes we don't think, and we get knocked over by uh, anxiety and worry. Anxiety, worry, it's a force. It's a force. It can knock you right on your tail, can it? It can just absolutely blindside you. Have you ever ever been sick with worry? That's a killer. That's a killer. How do you get unsick? You've got to think about what's true. Is this central uh, time here in Texas? <laughs> it is. Okay. I, I want you to go with me to. Uh, I want you to go with me to uh, uh, Deuteronomy 32, because what's going to happen now is that, uh, and and what I want to show you guys, I want to show you one of the most <clears throat> boring and depressing passages in all the Bible. <laughs> and what you may want to do is commit this to memory. 
Uh, Deuteronomy 32 is basically... No, no, I want Numbers 32. I'm sorry. I'm going to Deuteronomy. See, you can tell I'm... I'm I'm what? Overprepared. Well, that's a nice term. Thank you, Ryan. I was going to just say screwed up is what I am here tonight. Go to Numbers 32 because, and then we're going to Deuteronomy. But I want you to, Numbers 32 is, the, is kind of the depressing um, passage because what you've got going on here Uh, and actually, it's Numbers 33. <laughs> My gosh. I'm trying to think what I ate or, or what pills I took before I came over here. Maybe that's why I was driving so erratically, sir, and you... Yes, okay. It's what? I'm almost 60. Oh, then that's it. Okay, see? You can't wait No, I can wait, believe me. I, I can wait to hit 70. Uh, numbers 33. So what's number 30, Numbers 33? These are the journeys of the sons of Israel by which they came out of the land of Egypt by their armies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. Moses recorded their starting places according to their journeys by command of the Lord, and these are their journeys according to their starting places. What you've got here is you've you got a diary. You know, people ever, in the old days, they'd go to take a trip, and they'd have you over, remember, and they'd show you their slides. Remember slides? Boy, this, this, this whole chapter is an account. Look at uh, verse 11. Here's some familiar territory. They journeyed from the Red Sea and camped in the wilderness of Sin. Then they journeyed from the wilderness of Sin and camped at Dothka. Now, you know what's interesting about a lot of these places? Just, just look through, just kind of scan through that. Uh, just kind of scan through that list. Do you know... We don't even know where most of these places are. But can I tell you this? That's a list of their wandering. Most of this list after the Red Sea is a list of their wandering in the desert for 40 years. This list describes the life of Joshua and Caleb for 40 years. And can I tell you something? There's not much there. Uh, For 40 years, they are facing the giants of of maintenance and monotony. It's just the same thing. I I actually looked at a map today uh, in, in the Old Testament commentary that Dallas Seminary put together. One of the profs put together a map. He tried to figure out all the places in, in Numbers 33, took a map of Israel. And, they, and, you know, he says in there, I, this isn't for sure. And I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this thing, this 40-year wandering world, and you know what it looked like? It looked like a three-year-old. It made absolutely no sense whatsoever for 40 years. Now, that's where some of us are. We've asked God to lead us. We've asked God to guide us. We've asked him to direct us. And what's going on in our lives to us make absolutely not a whit 
of sense. And we're looking for answers, and do you know what? There are no answers right now. Now let's go to Deuteronomy. I'm, I'm pretty sure I want to go to Deuteronomy. <laughs> and I'm fairly certain I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, I, I think. Let me actually look at it, and I'll tell you for sure. Yeah, I want to go to Deuteronomy 8. Thank you. <laughs> now, this is an account of what was going on when they were facing the giant of delay and discouragement wandering for 40 years because their plans had been turned upside down. When stuff happens to us, when stuff happens to us, when, when you have your financial plan, when you have your um, investments and you have all this stuff and you've got your anticipated rate of return and therefore you make decisions off that and all that stuff, and, and you know, uh, usually it works. It's not working now. But you should understand, this is very, very important. If, if you've had a significant setback, if you've had a significant reversal, I get Chuck Colson's email, um, his little breakpoint commentary that's on the radio, and I was reading it this afternoon, and he was talking about the fact that, you know, he too's been very concerned about the finances and what's going on in our nation, and, you know, he's taken some hits on his personal finances, as many people have. And he was up praying one day this week and bringing all this before God, and it kind of hit him that, you know what, God, this is exactly where you want me to be. It's okay that I'm here. Here I am praying that you'll fix this and fix this, but in actuality, this is precisely where you want me to be because you have me ministering to people who are also there. So why should, if, if, if people I'm ministering to are there and delay and disappointment and all this, he, he ministers to prisoners, why should I not taste that? Why should you not taste it? What we have to understand, guys, is if you've taken a hit, if you've had a setback, if your plans have been topsy-turvy, uh, I was sitting in Wisconsin this weekend, I was doing a conference, and uh, Sit down at the table, everybody's eating breakfast. Sit down with these guys, and they weren't from Wisconsin, they were from Indiana. And about 10 minutes, I'm just, hey, what are you guys doing? We came over, you know, okay, great, what do you do? Well, they all work in the RV industry. Or let me put it this way. They used to. One of them used to, three of them are hanging on by their fingernails. And all, that, that whole industry in Indiana, it's It's withering. It's withering. It's just withering. And we sat there for 30, 40 minutes and talked about the sovereignty of God and that they are there and you've lost your job and God knows and it was his plan. And he has a chapter already written for you 
that you can't see. And he's going to deliver you, and he's going to make a way, and my God shall supply most of your needs. According to his... That's in the Greek. (laughs) Actually, that's in the Portuguese. I don't know what it is. It's not in the Bible. And my God shall supply... Really? Really? See, that's easy to believe when you got a job. Is it not? My God shall supply all As I go to the bank and deposit the check. But when there is no check, and there is no bank. <laughs> Come to think of it. <laughs> Just kind of popped in my head for some reason. (laughs) Is Wells Fargo still working these days? Because I haven't checked since four this afternoon. I'm hoping they aren't. Uh, (laughs) My mom called Mary yesterday, and she had all her money in Wachovia. And um, anyway. So the memorial service is on Thursday for my mom. (laughs) It was just see it's it's fine, but it's fine. okay. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory, even when you don't have a job. He'll make a way. All right, watch this. Verse two: You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these forty years, that He might. Humble you. You think this is just, all this stuff is just happening for kicks in this country and around the world? No. God's up to something. You know what God's doing? He's humbling people. He is scaring the living daylights out of people who have had not, not, a, not a shred of interest in him, nor did they need him, nor did they think about him, nor did they call on him. This is kind of a 9-11 deal. Don't you think? Yeah. See, when you get 9-11, you, th- you start thinking about God. You quit screwing around with your life for at least three or four days. that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Now, he knew what was going to happen, but see, they're going to live it out and give evidence to what's in their heart. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. By the way, let me say something about manna. The reason their fathers didn't know about manna is that manna didn't exist. But manna was the way and the means by which God fed them for 40 years. You see? So here's what might happen to you. Your source of income and your source of nourishment and your source of sustenance may dry up and you're sweating it, understandably so. You're a human and you got to, you know, and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do. But can I say this to you? If God cuts something off, it's because he's got manna that you know nothing of that he will bring into your life and take care. Maybe your father didn't know about it, your grandfather never heard about it, but God knows what you need, when you need it, and he will bring a new source and a new supply, and you know nothing about it. That's who God is. Now, we've heard missionaries tell these stories, 
And we all think, oh, that's just unreal. It's unreal. Yeah, but to hear the, but, but to think the story's unreal, you got to be in the crisis. Well, now some of us are going to get some missionary stories because we're in crisis. Uh, verse 3. What's this manna? That he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Everything we have comes from God. Everything. 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 Everything comes from God. Gasoline comes from God. Water comes from God. I found that very interesting last year when the governor of the state of Georgia you know, there's this lake north of Atlanta called Lake Lanier. I've been up there quite a few times. Huge, huge. It's the water reservoir for Georgia and for Atlanta. And, and, and Lake Lanier got down, there, there was more water in a kiddie pool than Lake Lanier. And they got so desperate, you know what the governor, I think it was either the governor, it was the governor of Georgia. They got so desperate, they got so desperate. You know what the governor of Georgia did? He called for a day of prayer. Somebody call an attorney. <laughs> Get the ACLU. We can't have this. But you know what? The sucker didn't care. He was so cotton-picking desperate, he said, we need to pray and ask God to send water. Because if God doesn't send water, we're done. He got humbled, didn't he? And we get humbled. Okay, watch this. I'm going to read some verses, and I'm going to make some observations. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. 40 years, their clothing didn't wear out. There's another passage that says the sole of their sandals didn't wear out for 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as man disciplines his son. Uh, Look at verse 16. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Did you catch that? God humbles us. God tests us. Just like uh, John Newt was saying, why does God do that? So that he might do good for us in the end. We go through these trials. We go through these hardships. We go through these. We're in an economic wilderness right now. Why do we go through this stuff? That God might do good for us in the end. You know, there's a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6. that talks about those who want to get rich fall into a trap and a snare and a temptation, and most of us never, ever think about that. We think about pornography. We think about adultery. We never think about wanting to get rich as a snare, as a trap, do we? But a lot of folks have been snared by the desire to get rich. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, okay. Oh, man, I almost, I almost quit. Look at 17. Otherwise, you might say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand have made me this wealth. That's what most people say. I'm a self-made man. You're an idiot. <laughs> Where'd you get the energy to work? Why is it you don't have cystic fibrosis? Why is it you don't have shriveled lungs? Because of the goodness of God. 
that enables you to get up and do whatever you do? Why is it that you can work with your hands? Or why is it that you can do surgery on somebody? Or why God gave you the ability and the capability in the mind? Did he not? Yes, he did. Where did God give you, where did you get the ability to think rationally? And and to understand concepts and to relate them one to another. It is he. Look at at 18. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you the power to make wealth. You're making wealth? God gave you the power. God gave you the ability. God gave you the strength. God gave you the gifts. Okay. Let me make some observations as we wrap this up. They were, in the, they were in the wilderness for 40 years. We're in the economic wilderness. How long are we going to be in there? Ah, 40 years. Who knows? No, I don't worry. I don't know. Does it matter how long we're going to be there, honestly? Does it matter? No, it really doesn't matter. Is God going to take care of us? Is God going to make a way? If you've lost 50% of your retirement and your net worth, let me ask you a question. Is God going to make a way for you and provide for you all the days of your life until you go to heaven? Is he? Okay. Yes, he is. And in your gut, you know that to be true. But see, we, we don't like losing 50%, or we don't, like, we don't like it. Well, that's fine. But once again, what did Newton say? If God gives you everything you want, that's the worst thing God could ever do for you. Let, 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 me, let me just lay out just a couple of truths. As, as we find ourselves as Christians in an economic wilderness, saying, may I say this? We need to handle this economic wilderness different than men who don't know Christ. We need to act like men. We, we need to be models. We, we don't need to be frantic. We don't need to be wringing our hands here, guys. I mean, quite frankly... We need to live off the promises. This, you know, this is where you don't want to become a practical atheist. I know you're not an atheist, but sometimes we live as though we were atheists, practically. Well, if I leave that job, and that doesn't come through, and that doesn't, and if I do, because God's not there. No, 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 God is there, and you know God's there. Okay, no, stop a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, you, you lose this, and your college spend's all gone and all this, and okay, so it's all gone. Okay, let me ask you, is God going to make a way? Well, I, 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 he's going to make a way. You knew he was going to make a way, and you were calm when you had the money. But what has changed? Well, I don't have the money. Okay, is God still there? Okay, so nothing's changed, right? I, I, right? Okay. I mean, let's, don't be an optimist here. Be a realist. All right, let me give you, I don't know. I got four here. Maybe I'll do four, maybe I'll do three. We'll see how you respond. (laughs) Here's number one. God is your banker. Okay? He's your banker. Not Bank of America, not Wells Fargo. God's your banker. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's your banker. Here's number two. God's your provider. 
You say, that's the same thing. Uh, it is. I just wanted to say it a different way. One of God's names is Jehovah Jireh. You know what it means? The Lord will provide. It means the Lord will see to it. Does God know what you need? Yeah. No. Did God know you were going to lose your job a year ago before you lost it and everything looked good? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he knew. Is he shocked? Is he stunned? No. Has he got something for you? Yeah. Can you see it right now? No. So what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. God is my provider. This is why, listen. It's in times like this that you go to Matthew 6. Jesus said, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Your Father knows these things. So seek ye first. He knew God and his righteousness. All right? That means if pornography is going on in your life, you've got to take it on and deal with it. And not excuse it and not put it on hold. You've got to deal with it and you've got to get some help and you've got to talk to somebody that can help you fight that because it's unrighteous behavior and you know it in your heart. But you know what? You're sitting on your tail and you're putting up with it. And I'm going to tell you something. You don't want to be screwing around with sin in times like these. Do you? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his, what? Righteousness. Quit missing around and start killing sin. He's given you power. He's given you grace. There's some brothers you can trust. You're going to have to take... Listen, guys, this is no time. We're not playing church. This is no ice cream social thing here. It's, it's getting hot and it's getting heavy. Here's number three. You are a steward, not an owner. You don't own anything. See, one of our problems is we think we own it. You know, that IRA, that's yours. That's not yours. It's God's. You're just a steward. God is the owner. Our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to God, all of it. What he does is he loans it to us. We're stewards. What's a steward? It's a manager. He entrusts a certain amount into our care, and we're responsible, and we give an account. So you don't own it. You are a steward, and you manage it to the best of your abilities. When, 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 when George Mueller, here's, here's his autobiography, the guy that had the orphanages in England, this is his biography. It's his journal with the daily accounts of what money was needed and what money came in. Why did he put this together? Why did he have this ministry to orphans? Well, there was a need. But he also said, the, the main reason I did the ministry to orphans, and by the way, he wouldn't tell anybody he had a need. He wouldn't ask anyone to give to the ministry. And, you know, he started out with some kids, and he got to 300, he gets to 900, he's got, he's got 2,000 kids, and he won't tell anybody he's got a need. He, and he wrote everything down meticulously. And I'm reading it here the other day, and he's got 300 kids, and he's got two pounds. That's two bucks or four bucks. This is where we are. Oh, but then that afternoon, God brought in, and then God did this, and then God did this. <laughs> you know why he did this? You know why he printed it? So that people would know that God is the living God. 
And one of the things this guy hits is he says, we get in trouble because we think we're owners, but we're not owners, we're stewards. He writes in here, and I won't take the time to read it, he writes in here of a couple that had a heavy financial loss. I mean, they got hit. And they wrote to him, and they asked him what his advice would be for them. And, and he wrote back, and he said, if I were in that position and there was a heavy financial loss, he said, I believe that I would give a thank offering to God because he didn't take it all. <laughs> and you know what they did? They did that. And he says in here, in one of these places I've got marked, he says, and, and, and God's return to them was not four times or 10 times, or 50 times. But God's return on their thank offering that he didn't take it all was a thousand times the amount they gave. Isn't that a great story? But they took a hit. It started with a financial hit. It started with financial loss. Delay, disappointment. But see, God turns it for our what? He turns it for our good. Okay, can you guys go five more minutes? We're, we're ten. Fifteen. They're good. Okay, all right. I don't need. I don't need that much. But, but I, I, I wanted to wrap it up. There was one place in particular I'm going. Um, and the orange, the orange slip right here that fell out. Just par for the course tonight, guys. <laughs> because this is a big book, and I'm trying to find this spot. Okay, I found it. So, so here's where I'm going with this. And, and number four is actually this. Um, we're talking about economic wildernesses. Let me say this. You're still to be a giver. as the Lord leads. He's got all these dates in here. You know, here's what happened this day. Here's what happened this day. Okay. Uh, on, here's the account I'm going to read to you. He gets a letter from a man in Ireland with a gift to his ministry. Uh, and he says the man sent the following interesting letter. He, he's a manufacturer in Ireland. Um, and the man says, basically, I started reading your pamphlets about four years ago. And I began to give small amounts because this was all new to me. Um, he mentions he's, he's thrilled to be able to include a much larger amount because he's learned some things. Uh, he says, I was at times much perplexed on the subject of giving, and the end of my reasoning was always that a person in such difficult circumstances as I was then was not called upon to give. I kept this opinion until I read one of your reports that fell into my hands. And from the accounts contained therein, I was encouraged to send you the first amount. Soon after, I thought my circumstances got somewhat easier. I then began to seek out cases of distress and relieve them to the best of my ability, uh, people that were hurting, people that had a financial need. And to the astonishment of many who did not know the secret, who wondered how I could give, I have proved that just as I give, catch this, the Lord gives in return. For during the time since I first made up my mind to give, what with weakness of faith and false reasoning of my friends, 
I sometimes withheld when I ought not, and just as I withheld, catch this, the Lord in his infinite mercy withheld from me. <laughs> I'm, reading this, uh, I'm reading this yesterday morning. And the next sentence says, During the panic, which has yet scarcely passed over us, I dealt out to all who came within my reach according as I considered the circumstances required. And the result is that although many in the same trade as mine have almost been ruined, it has been the most prosperous year I have had since I commenced business. I'm reading that, and I go, the panic has scarcely passed. And I go, what year is this? <laughs> and you know what it says? 1857. And I thought, Jeremiah Lanfear. Do you know that there was a tremendous move of the Spirit of God that began in all places? New York City in 1857. There was a young man named Jeremiah Lanfear. He'd been hired by a church that was dying in downtown New York City. And, and he was young, and he was full of energy. And Lanfear began to pray and ask God to use him. Lord, what can I do? What can I do? And God put it on his heart that what he ought to do is just simply call for a prayer meeting. And he started it on September 27th in 1857. And he just planted some handbills and gave them out around Wall Street. We're going to pray in the back of this little rectory building for one hour from 12 to 1. Uh, 12 o'clock, he's there. He's by himself. Uh, at 12.30, one man walked in. Um, between 12.30 and 1, five other guys showed up, so he had six guys. The next week, he had 12 guys. Um, six months later, there were 10,000 guys meeting for prayer in New York City. You know why they were meeting for prayer? Because there had been an absolute economic collapse. There was a panic in New York City. The railroads went under. The banks were going under. And guys were panicking like crazy. And what God did, you see, in a matter of weeks, it went from six to about 200, then it went to about 400, and then the panic hit. And they had to have these different locations. And as they had to move and set up different locations, they were ready for what happened because when the panic hit, suddenly all these men who never thought about God needed God. And this panic spread all over. Go Google 1857 bank panic. It hit Ireland. It hit England. It hit Europe. And do you know within two years of that panic hitting that Edwin Orr, the great church historian, estimates that over two million people came to Christ in the United States alone because they lost everything they had been trusting in. And even in Ireland, there was a man who was in business, who was trying to figure out what to do, and he read a pamphlet on giving. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. 
So he began to do that as God led him, even though it was an economic wilderness, even though there's a panic, even though there's a crisis, and even as others in his manufacturing community are going under, what's God doing? Most prosperous year he ever had. You know what this man did? He read the Bible and he thought. And he lived off it. I suggest that we go and do likewise. We thank you, Father, for your provision. Encourage us. Give us the guts to keep going and to trust you completely and to think. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.